If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, because today we're going to go back to the series that we began several weeks ago on Peter's letter to the diaspora, to the, to the scattered church, as it says in chapter 1, verse 1. To provide a little bit of context again, it's a church that's under persecution. It's a church that's being oppressed. It's a church where being a Christian involves hardship, involves difficulty, involves struggle because you, well, sorry, because they as the church are in this world but are no longer of this world, much like the situation we are in today. They were trying to be forced to conform to the ways of this world instead of being conformed to the image of Jesus, which is why I find it fascinating about the passage we're going to look at today. Because the passage we're going to look at today is what I'd like to call the divine mandate in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. A mandate, I had a look on the dictionary, a mandate is an authoritative, an authoritative command or instruction. Thus, if we are given a divine mandate, we are given by the very creator of the universe the ultimate authority and a command and an instruction about how we are to fulfill the roles that we have been called and entrusted. If you'll notice that first word in verse 1, it says, wives, wives, <laughs> The role of wives, their conduct as wives, their adornment as wives, their demeanor as wives, their example as wives. But I want to add another word in front of that, as godly wives. A godly demeanor, a godly attitude, a godly adornment. You see, it's an amazing message given not only for wives in verses 1 to 6, but also for husbands in verse 7. It's really funny because we discussed this passage on Thursday night and Jono and I were talking about it on Wednesday night after prayer meeting. Why is it that when you read such things, God has all of these instructions for women, but just one thing for men? Why is that? And John and I were discussing that and says, well, it's because the woman sinned. That's why. I know, I know. Ooh. I thought it was quite funny, personally. Nick Finn, is Nick Finn here? Nick Finn said, oh, he's upstairs. Nick Finn made this observation. He says, no, because guys can only handle one thing at a time. I thought, that, that, I thought that's a good one. That, that's a good one as well. But we have, we have this, this passage in Scripture that is viewed by today's society as out of date, as antiquated, as regressive because of the language that's used. And so when we look at these verses 1 to 6 about what it says to wives, don't just automatically throw up a wall and sit there and go, <laughs> no, no, I want you to have an open mind as to what God wants to teach you, not only you as women, but also us as men. So let's read, let's read verses 1 to 6 and keep your finger in, in 1 Peter 3. We read this. 
Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. What an amazing passage. So let's, let's pray. Let's open in a word of prayer because I really want God's wisdom in sharing with you the realities of this passage before we look at husbands as well. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is held within. And we thank you that you have given us your spirit to obey the instructions, the divine mandates you've called us to. Please teach us now. Please help us not to look at this from the world's view, but from your view and how it benefits your kingdom, how it benefits your glory, how it benefits humanity in general. Please help me now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is this phrase that consists of about four words. Okay, about four words that I want you to take note of. And once you see this passage, once you see this phrase, it actually puts this passage here in the context of a greater and of a bigger picture. And it's all about the, the impact. It's all about the, the, the power that is held within. Does anyone actually recognize what that phrase is just by having a look up there? Does anyone see this? There's four words here that causes you to think, what's going on? What's he trying to teach? That takes it beyond wives and that takes it beyond husbands. Does anyone see what it is? Hey! In the same way. In the same way. In other words, it's saying that it's following on from something else that already has been taught. That's why you can never look at passages of Scripture isolated in and of itself. It's always in the context of a bigger picture, of a bigger purpose, of a bigger plan. In the latter half of chapter 2, what does Peter do? He addresses how we are to live as foreigners and as exiles. Like I said last time I shared on that passage, as strangers and as pilgrims in chapter 2 verse 11. He states how that living good lives among a pagan society can be a life that brings glory to God, even though you may be accused of wrongdoing. What is that wrongdoing? Of living a life honourable to the Lord. And that's in chapter 2, verse 12. And then he raises this challenge to everyone. 
He raises this challenge to everyone, not just wives, not just husbands, but to everyone. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him as in the emperor. Okay, sent by him as in the emperor. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now look, in the context of what they were going through as a persecuted church, the emperor, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't very helpful or favorable towards people that denied his deity as God being the emperor. So I would take it to mean then that his officials, his governors, they probably weren't very nice either. And yet, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, says, submit to their authority. Submit to them for the Lord's sake. Submit to them for the testimony you have of God's goodness, of God's grace, and of God's mercy. Submit to them. Why? Romans. If you ever look at Romans 13, 1-5, I haven't got it up there. Turn to it in your Bibles. But it says that everyone is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Did you get that? There is no authority There is no authority unless God has established it. It was established by God so that whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, bringing judgment on themselves. I'm reading a bit of a paraphrase. The one one in authority is God's servant. Now, hold on. Anthony Albanese, you know, Scott Morrison, who you've just been. You've got Joe Biden in the U.S. You've got the, um, the, new, the new guy, the new prime minister. I can't remember his name, but that guy in, 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 in Britain. What's his name? Samek, yes, yes. So you got the prime. All of these people have been established by God as an authority at being God's servant. But bear this in mind. Like you might sit there and say, well, that's unfair. What if they're bad? What if they're terrible leaders? They will give an account to God. They will have an account for the position that they have. They will give an account to the Creator Almighty. So don't think, I mean, what does God say in Romans? He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So ultimately, they give an account to God himself because our existence here, we have to understand this about our existence. Our existence here is temporary. Is temporary. I'm being confronted with that each day I get older. That one day, like I watched a video of my mum's 60th birthday. We gave her a surprise birthday way, way back in 2006, I believe. And we gave a surprise birthday party. It was fun and wow, like this. And my wife says to me, you know, hun, that's you in nine years. And I'm like, ooh. So I know for a fact that I'm going to die. I'm looking forward to it, actually. I've got my funeral all planned out. Okay. But carrying on, they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. As I said, earthly rulers ultimately 
are appointed by God and will be held accountable in the long run. Held accountable for how they ruled, whether good or bad. And our position as children of God and as followers of Jesus Christ is to submit to that authority as a testimony of our faith in a creator who is, get this word, sovereign. Who is sovereign. That word sovereign means that he is in, that he's in charge, that he's boss. As I shared a couple of weeks back, that he's got this. That's what it means when we submit to the rules of authority because we are ultimately submitting to God that he has got this. And that we are a testimony of the divine hand of grace and the enablement of the Holy Spirit that we in turn can live in favor with God and man just as the Lord Jesus did in Luke chapter five, oh sorry, chapter two, verse fifty-two. So, this then is what the rest of chapter two does. It looks at submission. It looks at submission of the Lord Jesus. You see, this passage isn't about wives and husbands submitting to each other. This passage is about the people of God who are in different roles, who are in different callings, who are called to submit to the authority placed above them. That's what this is about. It's not a passage about marriage. It's a passage about submission and the power that submission has. And you know what the ultimate example of that power is? That's in the person of Jesus Christ. Who, in being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the ultimate example of submission. And you might sit there and say, well, look, I'm not one who submits. You submit all the time. Don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. You submit to the rules of the road when you drive on it every single day. You submit to the timetables to catch a bus. You submit to the the standards and codes of conduct in your job. You submit to an Uber driver who asks you to do something. So don't you dare tell me that you don't know what it is to submit because you do it every day. I do it every day. You submit to the authority of your kids when they don't actually behave. Keep quiet. Shh, shh. Ah! Okay, okay. You submit to that. You submit to that. I'll talk about your parenting later. But you submit to that. You know what I mean? That's what happens. We submit to things all the time. So when God calls us to submit to the divine mandate that he's given wives, well then that's not about you not wanting to submit to your husband. That's about you not wanting to submit to God. That's what that's about. So you take that up with him. Irrespective of what your husband's like. Husbands, well, I've got a whole thing for you. Don't worry about that. But husbands, that's the same thing. You, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? But we read about how this submission looked. And when Peter reads, look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the example he talks about. See, this is when he says, in the same way, this is what he's following on from. 
In this way, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know why we can do that? You know why we can return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls? It's because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. And he did so because of his love for you. When he was born of a virgin, when he was brutally treated, when he was nailed to a cross, all of that, all of that, he submitted to God's will so that you would have a chance to know him, to be forgiven of your sin, to be born again of his spirit. That's what this passage is about. That's why he says, wives, in the same way. Submit to your own husbands. The submission of the Lord Jesus that cost him his life. The sacrifice that Jesus gave that grants us forgiveness. The graciousness of Christ's love that asks of us to do what he has already demonstrated for us. I am, I am amazed, I am amazed at the greatness of our King of Kings and of our Lord of Lords who says to me, I will never ask of you that which I have not already done myself. I will never ask you to submit if I hadn't already submitted. I would never ask you to sacrifice if I hadn't already sacrificed. I would never ask you to love if I had not already loved. That's what this passage is about. And this is why Peter points to the example of Jesus who, for his own name's sake, submitted to the will of God the Father and not his own will. I mean, you have a look at Matthew 26, 39, as you prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, please remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That is the picture of ultimate submission. And to think that me as a husband or you as a wife or you as a single, you as a person, as a child, you think we have the right to sit there and say to God, I'm not going to submit. That has got to be the height. On my part, for me, I'm speaking for me, that has to be the height of arrogance. To think I am better than my Lord. So, in the same way, wives, submit to your own husbands. In the same way that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. In the same way that Jesus obeyed with a bigger picture in mind. In the same way that Jesus gave up his life. So too are you to follow that example. It's laid out for us there. Not in the sense of of making us like making a stand or or, or demanding your rights or sitting there going, look, you can't talk to me this way or anything like, I'm not saying that you just be a doormat. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I walk up to Pamela. Hey, hey, Pamela. Sorry, you're you're picking your eye. Sorry, you just caught my eye. I apologize. Sorry. Okay, I apologize for that one. 
But it's not like treating somebody like a doormat. And you're like, oh, yeah, just, oh, woe is me. Yeah, you can treat me however you like. You can do whatever you like to me. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living in light of God's will, of God's purpose, and of God's kingdom, just as Jesus did. You see how Jesus handled the Pharisees? I mean, he called them hypocrites. He called them serpents. He called them whitewashed tombs. Jesus, the meekest of the meek, Jesus who submitted to the will of God, he knew when to put people in their place and he knew how to put people in their place and he did it in love. So that's no, so please, I'm not sitting there, I'm not saying to you, yeah, like, so if, you're, if, you're a husband, if you're a husband and you say to your wife and you're being a complete, a, 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 a complete bad guy, I was going to use a bad word there, I'm sorry, a complete bad guy to your wife and say to her, you're going to submit to me, your wife can say, well, no, that, no that, how does that honor God? How does that honor God? It's just, you need to have a look, there's, there's a, the wisdom, the wisdom that's involved. Like Pastor Don, those who remember Pastor Don, I remember there was a woman in his church who was being physically abused by her husband and the husband was using that line. And so he showed up at the house and he took the wife and children and left. And then and they lived with him. And he showed up at the door and, and, and confronted Pastor Donna and he goes, that is not how you treat your wife. And he says, I will call the cops on you, mate. And he says, you get out. Now, Pastor Don, he's a... And he was all set to defend this woman. I'm not saying stay there and be a punching bag. I'm not saying stay there and get kicked around. Like, you protect yourself, you protect your kids. All right? Because that doesn't bring glory to God when you sit there and allow yourself to be beaten for that reason. You have to protect yourself. But look, we have to understand the wisdom that's involved and, and, and relying on God working in each, of, in each of our lives for these things. That's why he says, in the same way, I put it up there, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Corinthians talks about being able to sanctify the unbelieving partner. This is about when you submit to God and allow God to work, you can see, not in your own personal safety, but you can see how God can make an impact in the lives of other people. Even in Christian homes, the power of submission that a wife has. I've seen this example with my grandmother. I've seen this example with my mum. I've seen this example with my wife. The power of submission that draws the men closer to the Lord. My mum became a Christian first, and through her testimony, she was able to lead my dad to the Lord. That's the impact a godly testimony can have and how it can be used to win over the unbelieving soul. It's with a loving, caring, edifying, holy, strong, uh, long-suffering, persevering, enduring, accepting behavior, a sanctifying, reverent behavior. I mean, look at what the midwives in Egypt did when they refused to follow Pharaoh's instructions about killing infants. Look at Esther under the guidance of her uncle Mordecai. Look at Hannah and, and, and the barrenness of her own thing and how she had submitted to what God wanted in her life of childless, childlessness. So for wives, perhaps the focus is, well, then what does it do for me? How does submission benefit me? How does submission really enable me? What does submission do for me? But instead of having that attitude, maybe it should be more along the lines of how do I align with God's will in my life as a wife 
as a mother and as a woman? How do I align with God's will who says in Matthew 5.48 to be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect? How does it align with God's will that says that to rejoice no matter what position that you're in, to pray in all circumstances and to give thanks for that position? Why? Because that is God's will. How does that look? What does that look like? I mean, I mean, that's only the first few verses. And then we're told about having what you look like, the, the beauty, that your beauty, if you look at verses three, and five, 3 to 5, that your beauty should not come from your outward appearance. That it should come from, you know, or that it should come from elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes, but rather it's the, the inner man. The, the unfading, I like this, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, because that's the way godly women of old used to do it. Now, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying don't brush your hair. I'm not saying don't exercise or, or anything like that. But I, I, not even just for women, but for guys as well, the focus, the focus is to be the inner man. The focus is to be more like Jesus. I, I remember sharing this story with you guys a while ago when my wife said to me, because I was struggling, and she says to me, I fell in love with you because of your love for God. And right now, you're not attractive to me. And I'm like, wow, wow. Okay, wow. wow so it was never my looks. Apparently not. Appar- apparently not. But see, that's, that's, that's what lasts. That's what, I mean, my wife knew me when I had hair, and she still loves me now when I don't. Okay? It's, 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 why? Because she's never loved this tent. She's never loved this tent. She's never loved this tabernacle. She's loved who resided in it, which is Jesus Christ. That's, that's what she always loved. So that's to be the focus. Now, I just I briefed over the women, and I'm not going to spend too long on the guys because guys, you have man, we should have a day. I, honestly, I think we should have a day with guys, like a guys' day. Let's talk about being husbands. Let's talk about being men. I think I think I think that would actually be quite good in regards to women, if that's okay. Or, and I, I like just to be able to sit down, and we can sit down as men because because husbands, you're you're not not off the hook. See, husbands, we're told. Um, Sorry, if you look at like the first six verses, that the women have specifics laid out for them, nice and clear. You know, submit to your own husband. The beauty of the inner woman. We have the, uh, the unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. Man, there's even the example of, of who you can follow. Look at Sarah. Look at Sarah who, who called Abraham Lord. Maybe? No. Okay. <laughs> There's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a, a kid at school who, for a joke, he started calling me. I uh, said, good morning, everybody. He said, good morning, my lord. And he would call me my lord. And I, I, said, and I said to him, no, no, don't call me my lord. Call me your majesty. <laughs> and so he's like, he thought, ha, ha, ha. And so he started calling me your majesty. Now I won't let him stop. He's like, I don't like this. That's not my fault, man. You started it. You started it. So I never answered. He'll, he'll sit there and go, holy Joe, my lord, holy Joe, Joe, sir. Your majesty, yes, yes. Okay. Now, I'm not saying go around and call your husband your majesty, but, but we have this laid out for us, okay? So what are husbands told? You know what husbands are told? 
Husbands are told that our submission is to the divine mandate that states we are to be considerate, considerate, knowledgeable, strong, both physically and spiritually, and humble. We read in verse 7, husbands in the same way. Here's those four words again. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's that phrase again, in the same way. In the same way that wives submitted to the will of God in their lives by submitting to their own husbands, so we are called in our mandate to submit, to submit to God's divine mandate here. Actually, in the New King James, those words, be considerate as you live with your wives, is translated as dwell with them with understanding. The King James Version says dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what that means, husbands? And we talked about this on Thursday night when we did a leader study. You know what this means? Catch this. This means, husbands, do your homework. Do your homework. When it says dwell with them according to knowledge, it means knowing your wife, what upsets her and what doesn't. Knowing your wife and how to best lead her and to best set an example. Knowing your wife and how you can support and best uplift and encourage her. My wife always gave me, she always, she gives me great lines. She gives me great lines. Makes me look really wise. She just gives me great lines. When she says to me one time, you're helping me the way you want to help me, you're not helping me the way I need to be helped. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means I need to know my wife. That means I need to dwell with her with knowledge. That means the example I set when I spend time with the Word of God and in prayer, praying for her, praying with her, coming alongside of her, journeying together with her. That's what it means to dwell with someone according to knowledge. I guarantee you, if you've got a best mate, you know what to do with. You would probably joke at some of the same things. My wife and I, when we, something, when we see something funny and, and we know we're not supposed to say anything, but we'll look at each other. And then straight away, we're like... And that's it. Why? Because I know my wife. I'm able to do that. We celebrated 29 years on October 30th. And to think that after 29 years, it's only just now, maybe in the last five years, I can honestly say I'm getting to know her properly. 27 years has taken me. Why? Because I wasn't dwelling with her according to knowledge. That's what we need to be able to do. That's what you're, I mean, if you're going to sit there and study for your job, if you're going to sit there and study for an exam, if you're going to sit there and study for, I don't know, for your own personal interest, well, look, you live with your wife. She's the one you go home to every day, not your best mate. She's the one you hang out with every day, not your job. She's the one that's always there and always has your back. So dwell with her according to knowledge. This means time, this means sacrifice, this means, and I like this word from Jono, this means being mindful of the gift of grace that God has given you in your wife. 
to give her the due value that she is worthy of as a woman and as a woman made in the image of God. See, when Peter writes that respect is given due to them as being weaker, it's not talking about value. It's not talking about them being useless. Uh, ben, Ben Neo, Ben Neo. Hey! Ben Neo made a wonderful comment. He talked about how in those days, culturally, he was saying how women weren't valued as much as men back in those days. And so like, value them as the weaker vessel? Well, because they weren't looked at. I mean, there were, there were baby factories, there were homekeepers. That's essentially what they were. They didn't have anything real, of any real value to, to sort of contribute. And so there was that aspect of that being a weak vessel to show such respect. You see that in the Lord Jesus as he treated his mother, as he treated women that he encountered, he treated them with worth. The woman at the well in Samaria, she treated, he treated them with worth. And then there's the other aspect. Now, I'm not being disrespectful of any woman here, but there's also the aspect of you being weaker physically. No offense to any woman here or anybody watching. You're weaker physically. Somebody said, I remember seeing someone said, oh, I can do anything a man can do. And then they couldn't open a jar and then gave it to her husband. Can you open this for me? And don't tell anyone. I thought that was quite funny. But there's that aspect of it as well. But what I like, so one, you're to value the woman because they're weaker, yes. But that's not the only reason. Actually, I think that reason is secondary. The primary reason that you show a due respect, that you dwell with her with knowledge, is because of this. Because they are heirs with you. They are heirs with you, not behind you. They are heirs with you. They have been accepted in the beloved, just like you have in Jesus Christ. They have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, just as you has, have in Christ. They have been born again by a spirit, just as you have in being in Christ. That's why you are to value them. That's why you're to respect them. That's why you are to cherish them. That's why you're to dwell with them with knowledge. Because they are your sisters in Christ, forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, names written in the book of life, and sealed for eternity with you in Christ. That was what makes it so exciting. And this is why we as husbands have to bear this reality seriously. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to prescribe to you men what to do because we are told in a, few, a couple of passages what your role is as a husband and as a father. And you know these. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27. Once again, one instruction. What's that instruction? Love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know what your love is to do for your wife? It's to purify her. It's to cherish her. It's to show her how much she is valued because of the example Jesus Christ gave for his church. That he laid down his life. I don't know any husband here that wouldn't die for their wife. I don't know. 
But I don't know the people I talk. I reckon. I reckon if I, if I reckon if I had the option, if I had the option to talk with any man here, they'll probably say it now. If I ask, Danny, you die for your wife? You go, yeah, 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 yeah. But now, but I'm serious. I'm serious. I I, re- I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that. That love of being able to sacrifice your very being. And that's what we are called to do. To not only dwell with our wives with knowledge, but we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed his very life. We are to give our lives that separates him. Honestly, honestly, I honestly believe this. That a wife would never cheat on a husband if that wife knew she was loved and cherished. I honestly believe that. I, my wife and I, we know a few couples where the person that cheated in the relationship was the wife. And why? When I speak to the husbands, the husbands have all said the same thing. I did not cherish my wife. My love didn't sanctify her. My love didn't purify her. Why? Because if, if, if she doesn't find that security, that comfort, that, that acceptance in the home, as soon as someone else shows it to her, that's where they'll go. No offense, I'm not saying anything. But that's just the reality that I've experienced with the people that I've encountered. And that's why we are to love our wives. And then what you do as husbands, husbands and fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want you to take note of something here. What's the responsibility of the child raising in the things of God there? doesn't mention mothers. Where's the example being put by the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit himself? Where is that example put for the leading of the home spiritually? It's not on mothers. That verse there says, fathers, fathers don't frustrate, don't exasperate your kids. Instead, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know so many people here, godly men, work hard, provide for their families, great examples. Love it. Love it. It's so exciting. But do you know, fathers, when you get home, that's when the real work starts? Do you know when you get home, that's what the real job is? Why? Because your kids are the investment for the kingdom that you are supposed to lead them in. Now, you can delegate, which is the problem is, the problem is, I think 95% of all men delegate to their wives. And I'm not saying wives don't do it. My wife has done a great job as well. And you know, I'm not saying that they don't. But here's the thing. We talked about, we talked about this on Thursday night, how I see this whole idea of, of a quiet, gentle spirit, of, of what it means to be submissive in, in a marriage. It's, it's about working as a team, as a team to, to nurture and rear. But that doesn't exempt you as fathers to pass this on. But that's the reason why. The reason why when you see the when you see this verse, when you see this verse about husbands in the same way, be considerate. The end of the verse says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is what makes it such a big deal. Did you know that husbands, fathers, your prayer life is affected if you're not cherishing your wife? Your prayer life is affected if you're not protecting your kids. Your prayer life is affected and can be hindered when you are focused on other things outside of your family. That is a huge thing. It's, it's, it's no wonder when the warning is given to us as husbands that if we choose to find, or they're, they're, it's, sorry, it's no wonder if we choose to live in an unsubmissive manner to these divine mandates 
that we find our prayer life and our prayer power is ineffective. Is it any wonder? That shouldn't surprise us. So that's why we're told that nothing will hinder our prayers. I mean, honestly, we complain, we complain when we have bad reception because of walls that are stopping our phone reception. We complain when we go out into an area in the outback that has no telephone service or our data isn't moving as fast as we would like it to be. We, we complain when we get deserted somewhere and we have no contact with the outside world. We complain about those things. I mean, we even complain if music's too loud. I can't hear you. Joe's talking again. Okay, we, we complain about all that stuff, but we never seem to complain when our prayers have been hindered because of our failure to meet the expectation that these mandates place upon us. So, I mean, think about it. Our very communion with the Almighty, our very reception of what God is trying to say is affected when we fail to submit to the Spirit of God, fail to submit to the Word of God, and fail to obey that Word. So, what are you, fathers, husbands, what are you, wives, going to do about it? How are you going to set an example? How are you going to talk with your spouse? How are you going to establish in your relationship a picture of God's love that will express the beauty of the gospel? I had a wonderful testimony on Thursday night by one of the leaders. And the leader said, I'm sorry I'm late, I'm, sorry I'm late but I was doing a devotion with my spouse, and I lost track of time. And I thought, that's okay. That's okay. The fact that this married couple was spending time together in the Word, and it just, it was like, it was so much fun being in the Word with their spouse that they forgot about the Bible study. And then they showed up late. And I was like, it was okay. I'll let that one pass that time. No, no. So I was really encouraged. I was really encouraged. I was greatly encouraged by that. If you want to know who it is, come and ask me later. Okay. <laughs> But what are you going to do to fulfill the privilege of these divine mandates that have been placed on us in our lives? Whether it be husbands, whether it be exiles, wives, slaves, as free people, as foreigners, as strangers, and as pilgrims. See, I can't answer that for you. But what's exciting is this, is that when you ask the Lord to show you, oh, be ready for the answer that he gives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this lesson in submission. Thank you for the example given to us by your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was obedient even unto death and that through him we too have life. I pray that you will help us, Lord. Help us to submit to your will. Help us to submit to your way. Help us to honor you in our marriages and our families and our workplaces to bring you glory and to shine as lights in a very dark world. So we ask you to dismiss us now and thank you for being our God and that you will never stop moving, that you are in control and that you are always the same. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord God's people said, Amen.